today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. They've got to wait through the process. But if you go through the process, At the end of all things, your home is built, and it was worth the process. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the processes of God in our lives and how He takes us through a lot of things that, a lot of times we don't really care to go through. We don't ask to go through the process, but at the end of all things, the process is usually well, well worth it. In our lives, we will go through many processes, and it will be worth the outcome if we don't give up before the processes are complete. Today, Pastor David from The Open Word will teach us and encourage us by looking closer at the processes Jesus walked through while on earth. What is God taking you through right now? Are you holding on to His truths as you journey through the process? Sometimes we may not care to or ask to go through the process, but keeping our eyes focused on the Lord will help us during it all. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Processes of God. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Have you ever noticed how much of life is such, such a process? Such a process of things. I mean, let's face it, that's why most of us like to go out and eat because you don't have to deal with the process. You just come up, you order, say, hey, give me the lasagna and the big salad and the garlic toast and in a little while... Lo and behold, it comes to your table. You didn't have to cook a thing. You didn't have to turn your oven on. Nothing at all. It's right there. Life itself, though, is a process. You can't get around it. For those of you that would, uh, say, bake bread, during the summer, I'm sure probably not too many of you bake bread, but baking a homemade bread, I know, is a process. You've got to mix and and knead all the ingredients together, and you work it, and you knead it together, and you you put it together, and it's got to rise up, and then after it rises up, you take it, and you punch it back down. You knead it a little bit more, and then you put it back in the pan, and you let it rise up again. You didn't think I knew about that, did you? Yeah. And then, and then finally you put it in the oven and then you've got to wait and wait and wait until it's finally done and all of your senses are just enjoying all of that and then it finally comes out and oh, the process is worth it. Amen? Amen. Uh, some of you might want a garden. You know that we've tried our hand at gardening off and on. Right now during the summer, you don't want to see my garden, okay? It, it, it is like, you know, the apocalypse have gone through our backyard and uh, it's, most of it's burnt up. But, but gardening right now, if you wanted to go to the big box store and buy some flowers or some vegetables and stuff, and you go and you dig a hole in your backyard, you put it in there, guess what? It'll die. It'll die. 
you've got to prepare the ground. There's a process to make it work. You've got to prepare the soil. You've got to prepare the place where it's going to be. Make sure it's got the right amount of sunlight and shade. You've got to make sure that there's going to be some sort of watering system. So in case you're not there that day, at least it's going to get watered. And then finally, at the end of that process, you're going to have some either beautiful flowers or you're going to have some fruits or vegetables, something that you can enjoy. It makes the process worth it. If you were building a house, you can't just go out and start slamming some two by fours together and bring it up. No, you've got to check the soil, make sure that it's okay. You've got to dig and get a good foundation on the house before you start building. You can't get all of the trades in there all at once. No, there's a process of things. You've got to get the concrete guys in there. You've got to get the carpenters in there. Then you've got to get the electricians and the plumbers and the air conditioning guys. Then finally, the roofers. Can you imagine if you started building a house and you said, I've got all the plans, and the roofers are showing up tomorrow. Well, if you haven't got a house built, if you haven't got it framed, the roofers won't have anything to do. They've got to wait through the process. But if you go through the process, at the end of all things, your home is built, and it was worth the process. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the processes of God in our lives and how he takes us through a lot of things that a lot of times we don't really care to go through. We don't ask to go through the process, but at the end of all things, the process is usually well, well worth it. If you've got your Bibles, electronic or otherwise, turn to Luke chapter 2. Now, last week, we looked at verse 39 of Luke chapter 2, and then we jumped from verse 39 of Luke, we went to Matthew chapter 2, and we spoke about the wise men or the magi and their, their visit to come and find the Christ child and how they found out that Herod had deceived them or tricked them, and so they were led by an angel to go a different way, and then Joseph was warned by an angel to take his family from Bethlehem and go down to Egypt for a while, and then until Herod's death, until finally they made their way back up to Nazareth after Herod's death. Matthew told us in chapter 2, verse 23, you don't need to turn there, but he said that he came, Joseph, came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, that he, Jesus, or the Messiah, shall be called a Nazarene. Now, here in Luke, verse 39, we read those verses. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, to Nazareth. Now look with me, if you would, in verse 40. In verse 40, we get these words. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. If you're not familiar with it, Matthew's gospel continually brings you back to the, the Old Testament prophets, the fulfillment of the prophecies that were made years ago. So all throughout Matthew, you get that, that, that idea, that those words, and thus it was spoken by the prophets, or so he fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. But yet here in Luke, we have a different focus. In Luke, we have the focus of the humanity of Christ. The fact that, yes, he was a human being, 100% God, 100% human at the same time. Luke 
focuses in more on the humanity of Christ. It's interesting to me that even in the humanity of Christ himself, there was a process that he had to go through. Again, look at verse 40. It says, the child grew. He became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom. Each of these speaks of a a, a process of things that was going through in the Christ child. And, And the fourth one, and the grace of God was upon him. Well, I believe that that was continual, even before he was even conceived, that that was there. Let's take a look at how these things relate, not only to Jesus, but also to you and I. For Jesus, there seemed to be, as we look through the the gospel records, there seems to be just a normal uh, gestation period, just a a normal nine months. You know, Mary got to go and speak with Elizabeth for a while, but then we don't read anything else different, significant, uh, miraculous about the time of her pregnancy with Jesus. After the end of the nine-month time, then he was born. And guess what? He was born as a baby. Wrap that in your head for a moment, because without being disrespectful in any way, we need to realize he came as a baby. Now, how did God create Adam? He's a full-grown human man, full-grown as an adult. From everything we can understand, Adam came as fully developed man. Could God have brought the Messiah as a fully developed man? Absolutely, but he didn't. He brought him as a baby. And there's no doubt that as a baby, he smiled and he cooed just like little babies do and everybody's so impressed with that. But let me stretch something with you here. Do you think that baby cried? Some of you have a hard time wondering if he cried, huh? I believe he cried. He couldn't say, hey, uh, mom, I'm really thirsty right now. No, he was a baby. He had to make his way. No, guess what? He had poopy diapers too, okay? It just happens, okay? He was a baby. There's nothing sinful about that. You think, well, pastor, where are you going on all this? I want you to know the process that even Jesus went through in his life. The humanity of Jesus. He had to grow up. Even the Son of God in human flesh had to mature. Now, we don't think about this too often. We, we, we get the Christmas story, he was born as a baby, then bam, he's, he's up and he's ministering to the world. And we don't think about the process that he, even he, the God-man, had to go through. He wasn't born mature and immediately go into ministry. There was a process even for God in human flesh, the God-man Jesus Christ. I want to nail that down with you this morning. I want to pound that into your head, the, the, the importance of that process. Luke makes that process fairly clear for us, even though he doesn't give us any of the details. He's pretty precise in stating the child grew. He became strong in spirit. He became strong in spirit. He was filled with wisdom. Did he come in with all wisdom or did that wisdom fill him as he grew? 
Some of you have never thought about that before, and I've got to tell you, it's, it's one of those things that gets your mind kind of spinning and speculating and thinking, well, how, how did, he, he was God at the same time and, and man at the same time. How did all these things work together? Look at the rest of chapter two, beginning in verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. There was three particular feasts that every male uh, Jew had to go through uh, every every year. Not only the, the the feast of Passover, but there was also the feast of the of weeks or Pentecost, and and the feast of tabernacles or in gatherings or the the latter harvest time. Every Jewish male had to go to those three feasts. Now, through a period of time since Deuteronomy declared that. It had gotten to where they didn't always go, but if you went to any, you always went to Passover. That was the main feast. It says here that the parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. So, and then verse 42, and when he, speaking of Jesus, when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to be in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. And so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Okay, get the picture in your head. The, the, the feast was just a madhouse of humanity. I mean, all of these people crammed into Jerusalem during the feast days. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus, as well as possibly some of his other brothers or sisters that we read about in Scripture, could have been with them at that point in time, as well as a multitude of other family members and friends that had come down from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. The feast was all done. Hey, it's time to leave. Let's get everybody together. Come on, let's go. And so they went as a large group. Uh, again, family and, and, and uh, uh, friends, acquaintances, all moving together. And they traveled for a whole day. Well, Jesus by that time was 12 years old. Because we know that he was obedient to his parents, because he was also obedient to his father, he was, again, no trouble. There was no real concern about, hey, let's watch Jesus, man. Make sure he's beside me of all our kids. No, some of you, we know how those kids are, okay? Some of us have those kind of children that says, if we're in a crowd, I want this one right next to me. But Jesus at 12 years old, I think the parents gave him great freedom. And so as they left and as they journeyed, they just figured, oh, he's in the crowd someplace. Maybe he's hanging back with a cousin or some friends. And so they traveled for a full day's journey. Then that evening, they stopped. And whether it was time for a meal or time to bed down for the evening, they looked around and Jesus wasn't there. They searched and they looked around their friends, their relatives, their, 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 their acquaintances, their neighbors. Jesus was nowhere to be found. They were already a day's journey from Jerusalem. So now the next morning, they got everything together. They went back to Jerusalem to find Jesus. Now, rather, it took them all day. They got in late at night, whatever it was. But we do know, as Luke tells us, it was the third day. It took them three days, a day's journey out, a day's journey back. And then on that third day, they finally found him back there in Jerusalem. Verse 46, look at this. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. There's a couple of key things I want you to look at, focus on in this. 
Number one, they found him in the temple, and there he was sitting in the midst of the teachers. Sitting in the midst of the teachers. The second thing is, is both listening to them and asking them questions. And then third, all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Jesus sitting at the, uh, amongst the teachers. He wasn't standing on the outside looking in, nor was he standing as, as a student to glean from man's understanding. He was sitting amongst the teachers. In those days, the teachers would sit and the students would stand. Jesus was sitting amongst the teachers. Again, as they would teach, the, the teachers would, would sit, the students would stand all around them, and, and again, the dialogue and the questions would go. The second thing I want you to look at, as Jesus listened to that dialogue of these other teachers, he would then respond back with a question. And the insight he had, I believe, of the discussion, whatever the topic allowed uh, that, that was given, it allowed him to then take that position, I believe, of a teacher and direct the discussion by asking questions. That's the form of teaching in those days. The rabbis used it. The secular world used it. Uh, it was what's called the Socratic method, where the teacher would ask a question, a general question, to their students. The students would respond, and depending upon the response, the teacher would then ask another question to continually direct the dialogue until finally the students would come up with the answers. It wasn't the kind of teaching that so often today, the teachers just give the answers, hopefully the students grasp the answers, and then they can spit it back out on test day. No, this was the type that the teachers would direct the learning process of the students. And so we see that here. Interesting thing too, we see that even in the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, where again the, the, the rabbis and the Pharisees and the scholars and the Sadducees would come up and they would ask Jesus a question, trying to trip him up. How did he usually respond? Almost always with a question. No, let's redirect this thing. Jesus would redirect it by his question to get it to the right way. All throughout, again, the Gospels, we see that kind of response. So here Jesus is, he's 12 years of age, already holding his own with the rabbis and the teachers of his day. And that brings us to the third point. All who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Actually, I believe that Jesus did more than just hold his own during these discussions. I believe that he was blowing them away. Blowing not only the, the students and the others that were listening, but blowing the teachers and the rabbis away with, again, the depth of this young man. Luke had already told us that this young God-man had become strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I believe he was already excelling both in earthly knowledge as well as heavenly wisdom. And these two things joined together, earthly knowledge, heavenly wisdom, in a mind that wasn't tangled up in the sin of the world and of the flesh. It's amazing, I believe, what the mind can do. But more often the mind is so distracted by a multitude of other things, multitude of things that the world throws out that the flesh tries to draw us into, his mind was free 
to be able to accomplish all that it was created for. There wasn't a blockage of sin. There wasn't a distraction of of the world to hinder him in clear communication that he had with the Father and also to be able to speak those things into those listening ears. He was able to speak forth, I I believe, the the deepest and, and the purest insights from the law. The one who is the very word of God, the logos of God, is now discussing and he's making clear that word to those that were considered teachers of the law. This 12-year-old was taking them to school and all who heard him, they were astonished by his understanding and his answers. Verse 48. So when they saw him, when Mary and Joseph saw him, they were amazed And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he, Jesus, said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Here we have a situation where it seems as though Mary and Joseph In fact, Mary is the one that says, Luke says, Mary said it. Son, why have you done this to us? We've got Mary rebuking God in the human flesh. You've got to see the humor in that. uh, Just uh, her saying, why have you done this to us? Why why, why have you let us? Look, we've been anxious about all of these things. But then the child now comes back, not in rebuke to the parents, but again, declaring his mission in life. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? As much as Mary and Joseph knew about Jesus, they knew about his origin, they they knew about the prophecies that had already been declared, they still didn't get it thoroughly. They, They didn't get it totally. And still Jesus was submitted to their authority because they were his earthly parents. Look at verse 51. And then he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So far as we know, he grew up as normal as possible. Now, again, depending upon the tradition that, that you've come up in, you, you may have heard stories about how Jesus raised uh, dead animals, you know, raised up dead animals back to life again, or did other miracle things while he was a child. You know what? You, you just need to kind of discard those things because there's absolutely nothing biblical about those at all. We don't see those at all. We need to stick with whatever the Bible says. What we do know is what Luke tells us here, Jesus in increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now here's the chance for you to get me totally wrong in what I'm about to say, okay? So I need you to listen very carefully, and if you quote me, quote me correctly, okay? I don't believe that Jesus recognized his place in the Godhead at birth. You understand what I'm saying? I don't believe that he recognized his position in the Godhead as a baby. He was a baby. 
There was nothing, again, when we look at his whole story and we look at the situation, there was a process of growth in his life, a process of both practical learning and I believe spirit-directed revelation. Now, don't get me wrong. He was born the God-man. hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.